0: Welcome back, everybody. Clearwater Jazz, Holidays, Young Lions, Jazz Master Sessions. Butch Thomas is back with us. What's up, Butch? Hello, everyone. Oh, man, it's good to see Butch. And we got a little special guest we're going to show you in just a second. All right, I'll I'll tell you right away. It's Frank Williams is here with us to hang with us today. Frank's going to be on the screen in just a second. We're recording these sessions for the purposes of clearwater jazz holiday education and outreach as we do if you have questions please don't hesitate to use the chat feature we'll get those questions to butcher frank we're back diving a little deeper in butch's topic series a practice ritual for advanced players earlier he had a really wonderful session and this is kind of taking it to the next level and we got frank's special twist on it today If you've been following along these sessions, um, we appreciate that very much. If you haven't, we archive all of these sessions online in our studio. You can watch the videos there, or you can listen to them online in our Young Lions podcast. Those materials, those resources are brought to you by Bluewater Wealth Management at Steward Partners, the studio resource, and the podcast is brought to you by our friends at Marine Max Clearwater. And as always, we give a big shout out to our friends at the Al Downing Tampa Bay Jazz Association for believing in the Clearwater Jazz Holiday Mission of Education and Outreach. Let me tell you a little bit of something about Butch Thomas. I'm going to turn it over to Butch and Frank in just a second. Both of them, by the way, are regular and regular and important participants in Clearwater Jazz Holiday Education and Outreach, making a big difference in the lives of people, really, of all ages, musicians and non-musicians alike with our programs. Check out those programs at clearwaterjazz.com, the Education and Outreach uh, section. Butch was born and raised in St. Louis, Missouri. He received his bachelor of fine arts degree in music from Webster University. Soon after graduating, he relocated to New York City where he established a relationship with the great instrumentalist and composer Jaco Pastorius. He was featured on uh, Pastorius's recordings Promised Land, Punk Jazz, and NYC Jam and 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 the rest is history he continued on to perform with well-established artists including the temptations thomas dolby lenny kravitz and many more he's received a number of video credits including lenny kravitz's hit it ain't over till it's over queen latifah's how do i love thee and stings you still he would later tour extensively with sting after which he became placed on high demand by yet another hierarchy of stars. And the list just goes on and on and on. He's an incredible musician. We are so blessed to have this incredible talent right in our own backyard. Butch Thomas, it's great to have you back with us as part of the Young Lions Jazz Master Virtual Sessions. And Frank Williams, 40-year-plus educator, instrumental to developing many of the Clearwater Jazz Holiday Outreach Programs, band director, clinician, author. I can go on and on and on. He's just all-around cool dude. And Frank Williams is here with us again with Butch for a double whammy today. Gentlemen, the stage is all yours.
1: All right. Hey, Butch, how you doing? I'm
2: fine. How are you, Frank?
1: Oh, I'm good. I, I, uh, I can't see you. I don't know what's going with the video, but um, so uh, I have to uh, do it as a blind man I am, I guess, you know? So um, we talked about this thing, and we got this little outline. I know you want to go a little bit deeper uh, in this uh, practice uh, regimen um, that uh, we were discussing. And uh, according to the uh, bullet points here, uh, we'll be starting with uh, some technical studies. Am I right? Yes, sir. All right, man. You want to talk about that or demonstrate some or whatever you like to do in order to just cover this particular aspect of
2: uh, of, of your routine? Well, the first thing as far as technical exercises go, I would like to... First, do long tones before I do anything. Before I limber my fingers up, I check my tonality on the instrument. Where I use a metronome, I put it at 60. If you can hear this. I hear very very clearly. Okay. Now I'm gonna show exactly what I do. Now, I do this for the whole facility of the instrument. I'm going to just play one note in particular. What I'm going to do, it's going to equal 12 beats. It's going to be the first six are going to crescendo up to a triple forte, back down, decrescendo to triple piano. And if you do this all over the whole instrument, whether it's saxophone or trumpet, whatever whatever kind of wind instrument this gives you command of playing dynamics in any kind of musical situation so it sounds like this time this will give you more control and you can play as loud as you want and soft as you want at any given time when it's appropriate yeah yeah
1: yeah, yeah. and the thing is uh as a brass player, do the same thing the added benefit there is that it also strengthens the uh embouchure. So that as you move through those dynamic ranges you don't have any spreading of tone anything like that, and it also helps to build a round resonant sound so it's very good for uh endurance for building the chops for maintaining a very uh steady sound for building tone and um all of those things so uh we brass players live by uh long tones as well yeah so- yeah, something very common between woodwinds and brass pads. Great. Yeah, it's a must. It's an assessment. Yeah. Absolutely. Probably yeah. not the most exciting thing in the world, but one of the most beneficial things in the world you can do as a wind player. Yes. Yeah.
2: Cool. Now, my second step in the technical studies and exercises, as we'll call them, is that I do my scales. I do the major scales first. I go from the tonic which is your first note to the ninth and descend back down to the tonic and before I get to the tonic I modulate I go from the second note and I modulate to the next key modulation means that you're going to change keys naturally so it sounds like this so on right always start slow never try to warm up fast that's Mm -hmm. like very similar to a piece of cold iron being bent it's gonna break you have to heat the iron up which means your fingers your horn it's very true what people say when they say warm up your horn yeah that's that's a very factual description because you have to warm the brass up yes yeah or the wood up in a clarinet situation yes yeah yes. Yeah. And, yeah and so this is going to be beneficial it took a bit a long time to appreciate that you know I'm like what do I mean to warm up the horn okay I'm going to warm up the reed get the reed wet and I'm gonna get my fingers limber but warm up the horn what does that actually mean yeah so it it's a little bit deeper as far as, like, um, how can we say this? Um, not so much as physics, but it's a very physical thing that happens yeah. when, when you put heat into an instrument. Yeah. It's well, like heating, kind of like heating a skillet lightly. Yeah. Or yeah. a pot. Right, right. Well, so yep. Once you warm up, You do your scales and I do the majors, then I do the pure minor, then I do the Dorian minor, then I'll do some other scales. Now, what I've been studying for quite a while now is non-Western music. Um, Some scales don't have eight notes or seven notes, technically. Some notes have five such as notes of scales from India or Indonesia, you have these different colors, which we would call theoretically in, in jazz theory, flat fives or sharp fours or flat sevens or something like that. Because all these scales have a thread to them, including in jazz music. Because we as jazz players, I like to call ourselves musicians play all sorts of things all sorts of influences such as John Coltrane um Yousef Latif, who was very influenced by eastern music and North African music he incorporated that in his music in his recordings you have go ahead
1: yeah you know I I uh, I met Yousef um years ago he was a big favorite of mine who was a cannonball uh group and i was in chicago at a midwest festival and uh we were both having lunch at the uh blackstone and i walked over and greeted him such an elegant gentleman because he's a muslim so very very peaceful very very open very very easy to deal with and uh i actually bought his uh book uh the um flute book of the blues but we talked about uh those things And uh, it was amazing. I I asked him, you know, why had I heard so little from him? He said, well, I went into academia because later in life, he refused to play wherever alcohol was uh, served because of his religion. But he was not just into the sounds of uh, other cultures. He was uh, into uh, Islam and also into all other cultural uh, beliefs. Uh, especially as it relates to peace, whether it be Buddhism or whatever, so yeah. uh, just a great peaceful cat. Uh, I want to go back to something else you said. You talk about warming the horn up. I was always taught as a kid, look man, you gotta get the molecules and the metal moving, and that exactly. was just, yeah, that was just way they told me in order for me to show up and do what they told me to do. You know what I mean? And later on, I found out that from a physics standpoint. Uh, there is some truth to that. So, yeah, we're on the same page here, brother.
2: I was looking for the word molecule. Thank you so much. (laughs) Well, I got a lot of words, so...
1: Yeah, so these scales are very, very interesting. I noticed that you uh, use a chromatic pattern in going through your scales. A lot of guys play the circle of fours, four, circle of fifths, or whatever. I noticed that you tend to use a chromatic pattern, for instance, going from C to C, sharp major to D major to E flat major, et cetera. And um, uh, that is another approach that musicians most certainly should take. And I find out that woodwind players tend to take that approach more than brass players who tend to use... Uh, fourths or fifths as their way around the circle, so to speak, you know? Yes. Yeah, cool.
2: Cool. So wow. I was, I was yeah. just getting ready to discuss that. Alright, cool. Yes. I was going to talk about the importance of intervals. Yeah. Intervals in scale practice, as Mr. Williams just mentioned, in thirds, fourths, fifths, And also doing them stepwise and also actually playing the intervals of the scales and thirds and fourths and fifths and doing the same principle primarily as you would with the um, whole steps in the scale. Right. And this will give you a lot of freedom. If you professional players out there or students listen to, People like, I have to go back to John Coltrane again because he's a prime example of these things. If you listen to the intervals that he plays, or Mike Brecker, they use large intervals of Pharoah Sanders. Any of the post-bop players started using a lot more wider intervals, Miles Davis. And these things were, if you... Tune your ear to the fourths and the thirds and the fifths and the sixths and the sevenths. You have to do ear training to be able to understand these things. You have to go to the piano. It's very important that you go to the piano and you understand theoretically what is going on so you can later on start hearing these things naturally when you play. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: And, go ahead, Frank. That's especially true of brass players, who uh, saxophone players, piano players, women players, you press a certain uh, set of keys and 99% of the time, you're gonna get a specific note. On a brass instrument, one fingering can give you as many as 20 different notes. So now, it's not just a matter of the fingering, it's a matter of the fingering, and we had no feels, they were the air works, the whole thing. And of course, if you can hear it, you have a better chance of uh, playing it accurately. So um, playing uh, fields, uh in various intervals is very, very important just for brass players to be able to shelve on the instrument uh, more accurately. Would you have any pattern or any exercise based on either one of these uh, uh, that you'd like to demonstrate?
2: Sure. I'm going to show a digital sequential pattern right now. I'm going to use the notes one two three five. All right cool. And I'm going to first take it chromatically then I'm going to take it in fourths. Okay. let right. take the
1: fourth. Yes, yes, yes. Definitely got a little train sound to it. <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah. So you can do this, like I said, when you practice in the fourths, the thirds, half steps, whole steps. It's infinite, it never ends, there's no limits. You know, All you have to do is use your imagination and know what you have available for tools. Yes. And these are basically tools to help you to improvise. Yes. It's, it's all about the information. A lot of people don't have the information that really wanna do well and get to the next level. And it's highly recommended that you get with somebody the best money could buy, or if you have a friend that's accessible to help you do these things, it's very important for your growth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm not
1: sure what musician said this, but he was a guy that uh, has several different talents, and um, finally settled on music as the path he would follow. And he said the reason he made the decision is that he knew he would never get bored, because you can never learn all there is to know about music, nor can you ever perfect anything. It is always a pursuit, and no matter how good you get, there's always another level out there before you, so you can pursue it as much as you want your entire life, you're never gonna get there. So, um, uh, I think that's uh, a very important thing for us to remember that this is all a journey, but we never really get there. You know what I mean? That's right.
2: Now, this is another reason why I got into um, Closé, who was um, clarinet master back in the 1800s. Yes. He has quite a few books out. And I had a book that my father gave me called 25 Daily Exercises. Yeah. I had a couple of copies. The first copy I have, I think I burned it. I didn't like the book so much that I think I set fire to it in the the fireplace. (laughs) (laughs) Because I didn't know what he he studied this book. He said, You're going to need this book. But back then, I didn't really like to practice. I wanted to hang out and be cool. Yeah. You know, so um, I found out that Bird studied this book. So I went and bought another one and I started getting into it. And then I started teaching saxophone lessons and I started learning more about the book as I taught it. Yes. Because I went through the whole book. I was doing the whole 25 daily exercises every day yeah. at about 132 B- BPMs. Yeah, yeah. And the whole objective of this book is to get through the whole 25 daily exercises within a half an hour. Wow. And so what I would do is I would go backwards in the book. I would start at the last page and go to the, to the number one exercise. Right. And I would do that every day. And I was like, wow, my reading is getting really good. My chops are very flexible. You know, my dexterity is really clean now. it was just a major improvement, so I highly recommend that. Yes. Now, I want to go into something else. Now, as far as like scale wise studies, which is not so scale wise, okay. I want to talk a little bit about Slonimsky, Nicholas Slonimsky. Yeah. Now I'm going to go talk about. I want to talk about something that's going to be very helpful in color when you are improvising. I'm gonna start with this thing called the tritone substitution. or We'll call it the tritone progression. Right. Now, a tritone is a tonic to an augmented fourth. Right. And it sounds like, let me show you. Yeah. Sounds like a little bit of Jimi Hendrix Purple Haze,
1: right? You know what I
2: call that, don't you? What's that? The European siren. Okay. That is the interval. That's... Okay. So, this is the tritone progression it's the tonic to the augmented fourth, what we'll call the sharp fourth, to the octave. Right? Okay. Now, you can use this in the blues you could probably play that through the whole 12 bars if you play it correctly all right now this is what a tritone progression sounds like <laughs> which you go different ways but i was showing somebody i was teaching somebody about the tritone progression and this also leads into another thing that we were talking about called the interpolation interpolation means when you add a note after the tonic it could be in a half step it could be in a whole step which goes to the augmented fourth which goes to the, the fifth and the octave right so this in itself, is one of the things that Coltrane used. And there's an ultrapolation, there's an interpolation also. There's yeah. different of things that Slonimsky has. And a lot of guys, well, I don't know about a lot of guys, but I know a lot of conductors like uh, Leonard Bernstein and Anne Copeland and a few of the other great composers, contemporary composers, use this book for reference. Right because right. it also has not just things like this involved, but it has like the um, Hiro Joshi scales from Japan. It's got like the Balinese scales in there, where they right. deal in five notes, in four notes. And to me, that became very interesting because you can incorporate these things with jazz, like Colts fan and Yusuf used to do right and it gives the music it gives the music a whole nother dimension there's a there's a there's
1: another dimension as well we're talking about scales that have fewer notes than the eight note uh a european major scale or that scale but then we uh have to remember that the early um blues which is the basis for everything we do here what we Rock or jazz or whatever. The early blues guys love violins and banjos and guitars, they love trombones, and they learned to bend notes on all the other instruments. And that bending of notes was an attempt to find notes, how shall we say, between the cracks on the piano? So Yeah. yeah, we're talking about quarter tones, not just so. Or to be logical about it, if a diatonic has eight notes, a quarter tone scale would have 16. And there was a, a great torque player uh, back in the 70s, uh, may have lived through the 80s, uh, the great Don Ellis, who did a lot of experiments uh, with big band and small combo stuff with various rhythms, as well as with quarter tone scales. He even had a four valve trumpet built. So he could actually play these quarter tones uh, on the instrument. And that's another aspect of this. We forget uh, that when we listen to early blues, a lot of times we find notes being played that are not a part of anybody's diatonic scale. And that is because we were reaching to scales from Africa that were based on quarter tones rather than whole tones or half, or half steps, etc.
2: Right. Right. Uh, cool. And, and the and the um, minor third was brought to America by the Africans.
1: Yeah, yeah. And 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 to be honest, a lot of times what they would do is they would play uh, what I call a cluster. Uh, they will play a, a major third and a minor third simultaneously, like on the piano, in an attempt to get that sound that's actually between the major third and the minor third, which is what they were going for. If you listen to those early blues singers, that's really where they sing. They weren't really singing a true minor third. They were singing something that's a little bit smaller of a, you know, than a minor third, a little bit greater than a major third. So that's right. another whole uh, uh, avenue. I don't want to get too deep right. that Absolutely. agenda, but i like to throw it out there so people understand that there's all kinds of scale possibilities and that Slidminski is a good place to start searching for
2: all these other exotic scales. Yeah. And let me just elaborate on what you just said, Frank, but also Indian music has the similarities of the quarter tones. And people who don't understand about Indian music, they have about 1,800 scales. And these musicians, they, they practice, they study for almost their lifetime. They live with their teachers, a lot of them do. And by the time they finish studying, they are regarded as royalty. Because they Man. study, accomplish so much in their lifetimes, right? Yeah, right. So, I'd like to move on a little bit, if you guys. Yeah, that's good. Like, okay. I wanna. That finishes up my um, half of my technical studies in practice. Right now, and in time-wise, this is going to take you a couple of hours. Yes, a few hours. Your long tones are going to take you at least a half an hour to do. Yeah. Going up and down your horn. Your scales are going to take you probably about 30 minutes also. Your interval exercises are going to take time, and I don't like to look at the clock, but I'm just letting people know what to expect. If you're going to really study, it's going to take some time. You're going to have to spend time to have progress. Now, my next part of um, practice is the creative studies. So, we got our fingers limbed up, limbered up, and our chops warmed up, the horns warmed up. Now, we're going to create. Now, creating is not only just sitting down improvising, even though that's got the majority of it to do with, but there's also things that I like to do first i like to play a hundred courses of the blues when i first get started you can play any key you want i like to play in all keys but i'll play a hundred courses just to get the thoughts going and playing in every key transpositionally is very important I played with a lot of great players, and I, had a story, I have a story about one guy I used to play with named Groove Holmes. He was a famous organist. I know Richard. Yeah. And so, he would warm up the band and play a chorus of all 12 keys. And after the warm-up was over before the gig, I said, why do you do the blues in all 12 keys? He said, because a lot of people don't know how to do this. He says, this is how you can tell the men from the boys. He said, you're playing all 12 keys and you see people run off stage like roaches. (laughs) And I was like, this was my introduction to playing all 12 keys. And I was like, wow, I got to learn how to do this because I want to be correct. You know, So yeah. So a hundred courses of that. And then after I do that, then I will do some original improvisation over a standard or an original composition. I highly stress that people create and write. The world needs new music. I mean, standards are your foundation, that's your basic set, you're supposed to know that stuff. But this is 2020 we need to create new things and move on and improve the system of things that we have in whatever way we can so these two things are very important and then another good thing for players if you don't know how to transpose at sight there's nothing better than to get some music spend 10 minutes a day your whole practice time of reading and transposing in the key of C to your instrument. Say you're sight reading in the minor third below, or you're sight reading a whole step above, like in a B flat player. Yeah. These are the things that just in case. Learn how to read the bass clef, just in case you get that wrong yes. chart. Yes, <laughs> and you know how to yes. pull it. Up.
1: Yes. This is an advantage that trombone players have, at least I should put it this way, trombone players who have studied the instrument seriously. Uh, In order to be an advanced trombone player, especially on the classical side, you must be able to play and read efficiently in bass clef, in tenor clef, and in alto clef. And treble clef is a standard clef for the majority of the instruments that are in the European tradition. So that becomes another clef. So trombone players, by nature of the instrument we play in our musical infancy, are normally dealing with three or four different clefs and those clefs are within themselves alone, a method of transposition. Right. find transposition with trombone players is a lot easier than it is for other instrumental players. And I think that's why you find a very high incidence of trombone players as music educators because transposition for us is a way of life. It's what we have to do from the very beginning, whereas a trombone player can play treble clef only their whole life and never really need anything else unless they choose to move past the limitation of what the saxophone uh is trapped in you understand what i'm saying yes i do absolutely yeah oh yeah. so i recommend it quite highly uh the very first lesson i ever had with an advanced player was uh a lesson in transposition the very first lesson i ever had but so this is very important stuff yes yes yeah. thanks for bringing it to the table butch
2: oh thank you sir yeah the last point i would like to talk about which is i feel like a dying art i have a friend of mine he's a great saxophonist named george coleman and he and i was talking about double timing right and he was telling me that double timing is a dying art he said a lot of the young players these days don't know how to double time And I'm not knocking the pop music, I'm not knocking smooth jazz, I'm not knocking anything. But the technique that's different in these different genres of the genre don't really use a lot of double time. Uh, (laughs) It's more more slower and melodic than a great use of pentatonic scales. Yeah. So, <laughs> if people don't understand the definition of double time, it means that you're just doubling what you've played twice as fast. Uh, right. It's just that simple. Uh, and right. this is where the close say books come in handy. Yeah. Because this yeah. helps you to get your dexterity to be able to double time. Uh, right. All different kinds of musical situations. And when you get to a piece of music, like say the blues it's very easy to do all you have to do is think ahead a little bit uh, when you uh, double yeah yeah.
1: It, it, it's funny uh, butch yes sir two things come to mind number one uh when i was in grad school we were doing a 20th century uh 20, for 20th century uh, counterpoint and analysis one of the things we talk about is information supply. And that's a nice term, but it's pretty much anything in music, whether it's dynamics or the number of notes or tone inflection or you name it, right? Right. And I think the more information supply there is, the more stimulated the brain is, okay? And I think that we live in, in this contemporary world. There is so much stimulation already that is of a fairly negative level that most people look to what they call the arts to relax a little bit. So if you have a music that has too much information supply, that's going to be stimulating the brain in a way that is not going to be relaxing for that segment of the population or for the majority. Of people who are living in uh, contemporary America at least. So I think that that is a difference. When we were first doing uh, double time, it was a bebop era. People are still exploring, still exciting, we're still growing, we're still this, we're still that. So th- that double timing was a real uh, joke to the senses that everyone wanted. And now everyone wants to just feel rather than have that joke to the senses. And that is one of the reasons that double timing is not so popular anymore. And then what happens is if you don't do a thing for a while, it gets to a point that you can't do that thing, if you know what I mean? And since we've been on this journey for so long where people don't generally do double time, you now have very few players that can do double time unless they are steeped in the study of the music of the 30s and 40s and 50s etc or even the 60s you know
2: yes and you know another thing that i've noticed about the music from the 30s and 40s and the bebop and the post-bop eras is that when you listen to this music you have to think a lot of these don't want to think yeah want to get off work go have a drink or whatever, and go out and listen to something that's going to calm them down. So, yeah. Yeah. I have I have created some music like this, yeah. Just to just to put it out there, I do stress relief music. I go right. by the name the Lotus. Right. I have I have meditation music that I write purposely right. for. I was reading an article one time, and it said your best selling music of music. Nowadays, with no chord changes or melody. And I could not figure out what this meant. And so I did some research. I listened to sleep music. I listened to all different kinds of stuff to figure out where they were coming from. Right. So I made an attempt to, I created an album. And I made music like this. And every 45 minutes, I would fall asleep. And I would wake up with a laptop in my lap, and I'd be like, wow, this is going to work, you know? But that's another subject, but I just wanted to just say that I appreciate that kind
1: of music. Right, And and, and that gets into what I'm saying. Society has evolved in this way, and so the need or expectation for music is a little different now than it was 50 years ago, 40 or whatever. And yeah. so players have, um, how shall I say, adapt, adapted to that because it is an economic situation. And I think that's why uh, you might find that uh, techniques such as uh, um, double timing is not so uh, prevalent anymore, and why certain uh, harmonic dissonances, such as, say, monk, would have been. Um, uh, experimenting with a certain rhythmic concepts, such as Elvin Jones would have been experimenting with are not so common anymore because those are not necessarily uh, concepts that are going to stimulate uh, relaxation um, or conversation they are going to do exactly the opposite um, so that's kind of, I think, how we got this point. A couple of things you have in your outline, I noticed, you don't talk about the blues, and you talk about uh, creating a repertoire of songs. Um, we're moving along pretty pretty quickly here. I think we probably have about 10 minutes or so left. Steve, is that right?
0: Yeah, that okay. sounds good, Frank.
1: All right, so maybe we deal with those things. And uh, try to wrap this up within the next uh, 10, 15 15 minutes on the
2: outside. What do you think? Yes. Um, What I want to talk about as far as repertoire, everybody should have a certain amount of songs when you're first getting to the advanced level. You should understand the different genres of jazz i mean the, the different forms you have the blues you have modal you have your rhythm changes you have ballads these are things that you need to have at least about five to ten of each in your repertoire along with your original compositions
1: and i always hit a great american songbook bones in the 30s and 40s that uh, Americans never going to die. You know?
2: I think it's good for all people to have an omni book or the omni books. There's various ones and you can learn solos. You can learn the standard melodies of these solos and also have a um, I don't use these very often but the real book. I find the real book is pretty inconsistent, and the chord changes. Jamie Abersol and Hal Leonard have more accurate literature as far as studying tunes. But my point is this. I would take the real book, and I would memorize the whole real book. I knew every tune in the real book at one time when I was in college. I took the Charlie Parker Omni book. I memorized that, the whole Omni book. I practice six hours every day. Two in the morning, two in the afternoon, two in the evening. Seven days a week for four years. That's getting it. That's getting it. Well, I'll tell you what inspired me to do that because I was friends with Winton in Bradford, right? Yeah. And I was in school and they were on the stage. And I said, I want to do this. These are my friends. They're famous. And I'm not. I'm sitting here in the practice room what am I going to do about this I'm going to practice hmm. I got information I hmm. knew what to practice on and as soon as I graduated school I got a gig with Jocko
1: yeah
2: I was 22 yeah. Yeah. The,
1: the great Louis Armstrong once told me I asked him uh, we found out was a little trombone player and uh, I asked him for some advice. Uh, what what advice does he give me as a young player? And he looked at me, he said, This is probably nine, 10 o'clock at night. He says, You need to go home and practice. <laughs> <laughs> I, I never will forget that. You need to go home and practice. nine ten 10 o'clock at night? Yeah, you need to go home and practice. I said, Okay, I got it. Mm-hmm. No stop. That's what it's all about, baby. Going. That's the truth. <laughs> That's the truth. Yeah. 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 Yep so uh as we were talking about this uh we we're talking to wacky a couple of weeks ago and he was talking about uh his methodology is uh even dealing with uh, getting a repertoire he learns to sing the melody absolutely before anything else yes and once you can sing it you have internalized it and then you play it and he prefers to sing it and play it rather than to read it, so to speak. You know what I mean.
2: Esther Young and Ben Webster's were big sticklers about that.
1: Yeah, man. Well, that tradition is being brought into the 21st century by Mr. Wycliffe Gordon and others who are practitioners of that. So I want well, to I swear to by that this session with you.
2: Mm-hmm. I swear by that also. All I right. love to I love to sing the lyrics and hear what the singer's interpretation is before I try to do it my own interpretation yeah, yeah. well great I've really had a good time speaking Yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. alright no gentlemen what do you think I think that's all, all for a good day's work what do you think man
1: I think we've done very very well I, I think uh, if I had to uh, uh, add something to it And Butch's talk about playing in all keys. And I would like to say, guys, what that means is, if you find a tune in the great American songbook that is in C, you can't play it until you can play it in all 12 keys. (laughs) All 12 keys. Then you can actually play it. It's not yours, and you can play it in all 12 keys. Would you agree,
2: Butch? Yes, sir, I do. All right.
0: Well, I can't thank you both for continuing to add to this growing and very valuable treasure for students, really of all ages and abilities. It's been a real pleasure having you both with us again, and we know you'll both be back with us real soon. For those of you that are watching today or will be watching in the short future, we've got a really great slate of um, upcoming sessions. So check all that out at clearwaterjazz.com. Go to the education and outreach page. We've got Brandon Robertson and Tyler Wertman coming up with a a session about playing duo performances. We've got vocalist Michelle Mayo back with us soon with guide tones and the blues singing beyond the blues scale. We've got the great Dan Miller coming back participating with us on a two-part session, playing the blues and breaking down changes, part one and part two, and the list goes on and on. So on behalf of the Clearwater Jazz Holiday Foundation and our many partners, thank you for participating in, in these sessions. And Butch and Frank, thank you for being an ongoing special part of our family. It's my
2: pleasure. Thank you for having me. My pleasure, too. It's been a great time. Thank you.
0: All right, take care, everyone. Stay safe out there, be well, and keep playing. We'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to Clearwater Jazz Holiday Foundation's Young Lions Jazz Master Virtual Sessions. This podcast series is presented by our friends at Marine Max Clearwater. To watch the video of this full session, please visit the education and outreach page at ClearwaterJazz.com and click on the studio. You can also learn more about the annual Clearwater Jazz Holiday Music Festival tradition and Clearwater Jazz Holidays year-round education and outreach at ClearwaterJazz.com.